Good morning. Good morning. So as Andy said, um, we're wrapping up the series on, on comebacks. And Andy gave me some possible topics on comebacks, and I did pick one of them. So <laughs> I, I appreciate him giving me direction, because that was the first thing I asked is, if you want me to, to help out and talk, and by the way, I, I don't preach. I ramble and talk. That's why the that's that's why they go on for for a couple hours when Andy and I get together for a cup of coffee that's very cold by the time we finish, or in Andy's case, tea. Um, so the comeback I picked was on the church, the church making a comeback, and and I picked that because of things that are going on in my life, in my church experience, and I picked. Um, in this, um, and it's subtitled, if you're in the U version thing and looking at notes, I think James got those loaded up. Um, I, I think in, in my notes, it has a subtitle. It's called The Nuts and Bolts of a Comeback. Uh, and I want to read for you um, the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll try to break that down a little bit uh, as we go through and, and go through my musings and my thoughts and, and what God has impressed on me. But as I read this, I'm going to ask you to do something. Put yourself in the moment. Something God's impressed on me over the last couple of years is to try to put myself in the moment, to think about the time that's going on and the characters who are there and what's happening in their lives. And insight has been changing in me as I think about that. Because right? so often we think about things in the time it takes us to read it as opposed to the time it took it to happen. So think about that, and if something exciting comes up to you, shout it out. Or type it in and let Andy respond to it as he watches the feed. I just gave him a task to do. <laughs> All right, so let me read this, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the 12 summoned up the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procreus, and Nacor, and Timion, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the preaching of God flourished, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. As I thought about this, I was seeing that there's an attention to detail that is happening in this church moment. I'm also seeing that there's a tension in this moment in the church. And I think sometimes the tensions in the moment in the church happen when things are declining. But it opens up with the churches multiplying. And I think when things look like they're going really well, we don't think about tension and the undercurrents. And as I was meditating on this passage and, and reading it, this odd event, this old story of my life kept coming up. And I was trying to push it away, saying, that means nothing. Um, 
And then I was under my, my son's table up in Iowa, um, tightening up the legs of the table because we had just eaten dinner and the table was very wobbly. And the story came back again and again. So bear with me because it makes sense in my brain, but my brain is different. When Meryl and I were young parents, that was, means we were younger than we are now and our child, first two children were young, uh, Marilyn came up with an idea that we needed a swing set. Seems like a good idea. Swing sets are fun. So we did some research and um, we decided on a swing set. The swing set came from Sears, which I don't think anything comes from Sears anymore. Uh, it was gigantic. I have, absolutely have no clue how we got it home in all the boxes. And one Saturday, Marilyn and I and our, and our dads and, and moms, so we were all gathered up in the backyard and digging holes and unboxing and looking at instructions that made an IKEA instruction book look very uncomplicated. Piles of nuts and bolts and washers and little plastic things to cover up the thread so nobody's face gets cut. And over that Saturday, we erected this beautiful blue swing set. Put it in concrete in the ground. My dad put pennies in the concrete because he said that was good luck for a swing set. I don't know. <laughs> there was a slide. There were swings. There was a trapeze bar. There was a glider. And there was a box swing, which I will tell you over the years that we swang with our kids in the box swing and on the gliders a lot. And we pushed swings. And kids got to fly in the air, as you get to do when you jump off a swing. Uh, and when we moved from that house, we dug it up, and at the end of the day, we put it in a U-Haul and moved it to our next house, and we didn't have a backyard, so we put it in the front yard, and the neighborhood association got upset. <laughs> but a couple weeks after we did this, I'm looking at all the papers and the manuals and figuring out, you know, because Maryland's really good at us being organized, that needs to get in a folder and all that, and I'm rereading it, and kind of buried in the back, after all the instructions, it has this little phrase. On a regular basis, go out and check all the nuts and bolts and screws and make sure that they're properly tightened or death or injury might occur. And I thought to myself, I put an implement of death and injury in my backyard. How does that relate to this? The church is a place of great healing and joy and fun. But if we don't keep our nuts and bolts tight, it is a place of spiritual death and injury. Over the last, Marilyn can tell you, maybe decade, I've been very discontent with church, of doing church, of being in church. And this passage calls that up to my mind. For some people in this church, it was the best thing ever. And for some people, it wasn't. We have to be doing church the way it's designed to be. So I'd like us to look at the players, and we're going to try to look at the players as we go through uh, Acts 26. So kind of give the players. First is there's the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews had a complaint. There's the disciples and the apostles. And then there's some group that's not mentioned at all. 
but is implied at the end. There's the community in Jerusalem that's watching this from the outside. So we'll try to go through and, and, and look at this a little bit and try to see how it relates to us, or at least how it relates to my journey. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, stop there. How many people want a church that's growing? One person? Great, one. Oh, oh two more. Good. And as I said earlier, we don't look for a problem when things look like they're going really, really well. And as, as we're looking through Acts up to this point, the church doesn't need to be on a comeback because the church is exploding. In Acts chapters 2, it says, and daily their numbers grew. At Peter's first sermon, it says thousands came to faith and were baptized. So we're riding this wave. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The church met differently for the first 500 years or so than it does today. They got together every day. They shared their lives, their souls, their possessions, their food together as often as they could, most likely every day. And apparently there was a daily distribution. Now, I don't know if that was money or food or both. It was probably both. But the cultural Greek, which means Hellenistic, is what that means, Greek widows were either being overlooked completely or they got less than the Jewish widows. And I don't know if they were in the church or outside the church or a little bit of both, but I think that they were probably a little bit of both. Some were the outside. And somebody one day had enough guts to say, this doesn't look right. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside? I have. And I know a lot of people who really feel like they're on the outside of church in a church expression that we'll talk about in a little bit, that Marilyn and I and Jim and Judy and some others here and some others in the community are involved with. The care of the poor, the care of the outsider, might be the strongest nut and bolt that the church needs to take care of. And somebody's got to be brave enough when they see that that nut is loose, that that bolt is falling out, to say, what about the outsider? The apostles responded to this in kind of an interesting way. And if you just read the, the, the second verse, it sounds like they're, they're dismissing it. Then the 12, meaning the, the apostles, summoned up the whole company of disciples and said, quote, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Now, if I was one of the, the Greeks hearing this, I would probably think, well, I think I just got dissed and dismissed. But I think what they were doing is saying, 
for us, our nuts and bolts is to make sure the word of God is pure and continues. They had that bolt tight. But as we come up in the next part, in this middle section, Acts 3 through, verses 3 through 6, they also had wisdom to see that you've got to look at everything. You can't just be the religious part, the worship part, the music and preaching part. You've got to be the life part. Verse 3. Therefore, the brothers selected, therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. The twelve recognized the problem because it had been pointed out to them that there was something they had to do about it. They couldn't just preach more. And said, let's spread the wealth. The mission of God is not just for the pastors. The mission of God is not just for the music leader. The mission of God is not just for the youth director or the children's minister or the tech team. The mission of God is for everyone whom the Spirit rests on. Everyone is carrying a wrench or a screwdriver in the kingdom of God. How many of you agree with you have a screwdriver in the kingdom? The place I talk on Thursday nights, we're a lot more conversant. It's, it's, it's much more free-flowing, and there's food. <laughs> so they chose, I'm not going to read all the names, seven people, but one of them was named Stephen. First one they mentioned, full of the Spirit. They recognized that the care of the people who feel left out is paramount, is paramount. I will tell you that in the church today, we have left the outsiders outside. We have decided to build buildings and have services and have things that fit with a certain model of people. As I mentioned earlier, Marilyn and I and Jim and Judy and um, uh, are there most Thursday nights. We're involved in a little church and that's very, very different on Thursday nights in Goldenrod. And it's designed around the premise that a lot of people will never go into a church building. It is just not a comfortable place to go. Years ago, Marilyn and I had next door neighbors that we invited to our traditional church actually the place I met Andy. Uh, there was a big musical thing going on, very popular in churches in the 90s and the early 2000s and the 80s. Big musical things at Christmas and Easter. Catch all those Christmas and Easter Christians. And we invited our neighbors who did not go to church and they did not feel comfortable about it. And they went to honor us because we were singing. Marilyn Well, me in the background. And at the, you know, kind of in the yards between us, I said, Ted, what did you think? And his wife started to laugh. And I said, what are you laughing at? She goes, Ted, say what you said when you walked through the door of the church. And he goes, Daryl, I said, I really hope the door, the roof doesn't collapse on me because this is hard to do and I don't think I'm welcome here. Now, he was welcome there, 
But in his spirit, he felt like an outsider because he had walked away from church decades ago. The Hellenistic Jews felt like outsiders, but the apostles created something new in the community by appointing seven. The church needs to make comebacks because there's always going to be outsiders that we're going to leave behind if we don't tighten up, get our wrenches out, get our screwdrivers out, and look at the design manual and say, I don't think that slide's supposed to be tilting that way. Maybe I need to get that support beam raised back up. I think the swing is supposed to be level or the chain's not supposed to be rusty or only one chain hanging, holding it up and we need to get there. And these seven guys are doing that. The church will make comebacks if we keep our nuts and bolts tight, if we follow the design. And then the last section, just one verse, results. So the preaching about God flourished and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. There's a comma, so I'm gonna pause there. That is almost like the first verse, isn't it? The church was multiplying greatly. But Luke in his wisdom adds one thing that is not mentioned any other time in Acts when it talks about the church growing. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Jewish priests, outsiders of the Christian church, they finally saw in a way they could comprehend that the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about with everybody he met was happening in this church, was happening amongst the followers of Christ. They saw it firsthand. We should see it firsthand. We should look at the scriptures and say, what did Jesus do? Jesus met with the outsiders and said something repeatedly over and over again. Today, the kingdom of God is here. See the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is at hand when the outsiders feel loved. And I think what the priests saw is what James wrote about in his epistle, James, the pastor of Jerusalem, James, the brother of Jesus, or half-brother of Jesus. In James chapter 1, in verse 27, it says this, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Why do they say orphans and widows? Why does this passage start with orphans who felt left out? Outsiders. They're outsiders. What else about orphans and widows? They're alone. Easily overlooked. Easily overlooked. They have great need. They have great need. That's really the one I wanted to go for. Thank you, Mike. In Jewish faith, it 
And Jesus had this conversation with a, 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 a scribe, a, a, a warrior, meaning somebody endued um, with the law of, of Moses, the Hebraic law. And it was, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, which was the lead into the big Good Samaritan story, which we all know. We're not going there. But it was because we've got to take care of the vulnerable. There was no government support system. The church is the support system for the outsider, the emotional support system, the financial support system, the time to sit down and listen to somebody's story, even if it means it's a third cup of coffee and you're paying for all the coffee or tea in Andy's case. These priests saw that their expression of church had left that out. And Jesus talked to them all the time saying, you, you, you found a loophole in the law where you say, oh, I've, de I've dedicated all this money to mom and dad or to, to the church when I'm dead. So I'm not taking care of mom and dad or I'm not taking care of the orphans because it's not my money anymore. I've dedicated it to the church. And there's my new chariot. So I'm restless of this tension of a church that waits on government programs, a church that says, if you come in the door and if you look right and smell right, talk right, believe right, you're 100% welcome. When I was reading through this James verse, I read it in a whole bunch of different translations and paraphrases. And in the message, it changes out orphans and widows for this which slayed my heart, the loveless and homeless. Now on Thursday night, those of us who show up there get to spend a lot of time with the loveless and homeless because about a third of that church is on the street. And they will tell you that people look right through them. We can't just play at the margins. And while I was prepping this, I was reading a book with some friends and this quote from C.S. Lewis came up, which should come up there in a second. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. An ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant to offer by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The church is far too easily pleased. The comeback moment here was to not be pleased with the status quo of people coming who felt comfortable to come but to dealing with the people who felt left out. I don't know about you, but I don't even like sitting in the hot sand on the beach, but I want a vacation at the sea. If the option is making mud pies in the slum, once I recognize it. If we have our nuts and bolts tight, if we realize that the church needs to come back, if the church needs to come back like it has had numerous times, 
Like in fact, it's just a few chapters later in Acts where there's another comeback moment where all these Gentiles from Greece and Mesopotamia and Turkey are having a conflict because the Jewish ones say they need to get circumcised. They need to live by the law of Moses to be part of us. And Paul and Peter fight about it. And they come up and say, we couldn't even deal with that. Why are we making them deal with that? Or then in the 1500s with Martin Luther and the other reformers realizing that works and asking special dispensations was just putting people in slavery in the church as opposed to having them free to live by grace and to find salvation by grace alone. Or at the end of the 1700s with the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield, who realized that people don't come to church. We need to go to coal mines and cemeteries and bars and tell them the good news. Go where they are. They realized that making mud pies didn't work anymore. We need to realize every day what our mud pies are, what bolts need to be tightened up so we stop making mud pies and get to this glorious seaside experience. Well, that's hard to say, at least for me. And with that, I want to finish with one kind of last story from a Thursday night, and hopefully I'll be fairly close to on time because I'm either really, really short or really, really long. And I'm always really short, by the way. <laughs> In our Thursday night community, there is a homeless gentleman by the name of John. John's a great guy. And there's another homeless gentleman by the name of Tyler who struggles every day. Well, John uh, sends a message off to the church phone that said he had a bike wreck and he was taken to the Oviedo Medical Center. Just wanted to let us know so we could pray because he's that kind of guy. Well, he got a visit from the church, a couple of visits from the church. Um, and, you know, he progressed and did pretty well and was only in for three or four days. Um, and one of those visits, it was, you know, well, you crashed your bike and the EMTs took you to the hospital. What happened to your bike? And he said, oh, you know, they, they locked it up. You know, on a light post, it's there on a Loma. Maybe, maybe it's still there. Because see, when you're a homeless person, someone's always stealing from you. Because what are you going to do, call the cops? Probably not. Because most homeless experience, cop endeavors are not a good outcome for the homeless person. So his bike gets picked up, it's going to take him to a safe place, and he gets checked out uh, of the hospital and goes to a safe place where he can stay in rehab for a couple days. And then on a Thursday night, about two weeks later, when he's mobile again, he shows up at Thursday night church where there's dinner, and he's sitting at the table with Tyler. So John's in his 40s, Tyler's maybe 30. And John tells him the story of the church taking care of him that somebody cared enough to visit him in, in the hospital and spend time just talking to him and see how he was going and finding out about his bike and getting it picked up and getting it moved to a safe place where it could be locked up and not stolen. And it was there when he got back. And later that night, Tyler comes up to me and says, I heard John's story. I've never heard of such a thing. Why would somebody care about this homeless guy, John? Why would a church reach out and take care of this need while he's in the hospital and visit with him and sit with him and talk with him and take care of his bike? I've never experienced this. I got to talk about this Jesus thing more. It's a nuts and bolts moment. It is what 
the Hebrew priests saw that made them want to come back and say, I'm going to check out this church. The way I've been doing faith isn't working. I'm going to do it this way. So I have questions for you. First is a simple question, and hopefully everybody will answer in this. If you were to go to a friend of yours and ask them one of these two questions, and I want you to pick the question that you think you're going to get a yes answer for. Question number one, hey, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? 10 o'clock, I'll pick you up. Or number two, hey, would you like to come over to my house and have dinner and sit around and chat, get to know each other? Raise your hand or speak out, whichever you feel more comfortable with, is are you going to get a yes for question number one or are you going to get a question, question number two? Two. two. Online, anybody? Two. Anybody paying attention? Two. People want to be met where they're at. So the last question is, is who's the John in your life that needs a visit? What are the nuts and bolts in your church experience that you need to tighten up? What are you doing to follow the design plan to be the church that takes care of the loveless and the homeless? All I can say for myself is that every day I'm trying to find which bolt I dropped, which nut is hanging loose, which washer did I forget to put on? because I don't want anybody to be left behind.